And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. going on guys welcome to the athletic hockey show the wednesday roundtable edition i am rob Beasel from cbc sports joined as always by jesse granger in vegas what's going on jesse good late night game uh always enjoy the 750 starts uh, for you guys on the east coast i believe that's a almost 11 p.m start last night for uh golden knights sharks so played hockey well into the night yeah. Did anything big happen in that game? That's my only question. <laughs> uh, we'll get to it later. I'm sure we'll hit it. It was a pretty good game, a uh, loud game for, for the fans in San Jose. And that, that other voice you hear is Michael Russo, who I, I wanted to leave till second because he was showing us, Jesse, before you came on the Zoom call, his presidential suite in Montreal. I mean, just traveling in style, getting bumped up in the hotel. Is, is that what happens when you become part of the, the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition? They start putting you up in like presidential suites and stuff? That's exactly what happened. I checked in. They're like, you're a podcaster for The Athletic, right? And I'm like, yes, I am. And they're like, hey, we got something special for you. So, uh, yeah, and, uh, I, I checked in here and they're like, hey, we um, assigned you a room. It's not ready yet. We could put you in another room, but it's just like a double bedroom. I'm like, OK, yeah, that'd be fine. I got to get to work. And they're like, the other room is this gigantic, enormous um, suite that we have. And I'm like, but she goes, the problem is that the person's not checking out till one. And we're gonna, it's so big that we're going to need like an hour, two hours to clean it. I'm like, I think I'll wait. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I just worked in the concierge lounge all Sunday and this is a three day stay. So this worked out perfectly. I've done a couple podcasts here, written a couple stories, um, and it's even the price of a regular hotel room. So I'm not even ruining our athletic budget. 
Traveling in style. And speaking of being a big podcaster, I had my men's league hockey game on Monday and I'm a left winger and I line up for a face off against the other team's right winger. And he kind of gives me a little, little hook, kind of like puts a sticker on my stick and he says, loving the podcast this year, man. Loving the podcast. So I thought I'd pass <laughs> yes. that along to you and never got his name. All I know is <clears throat> we want an overtime. So uh, that's the only thing that really matters uh, for that one there. But <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the compliment. Um, Russo, you alluded to it. One of the things we have to talk about, we're going to get right right to it because we've got a lot uh, to get through today. Something happened in that Vegas game, um, and it was 13 years, yeah, 13 years in the making. We knew it was coming, barring something crazy, but Phil Kessel playing in his 990th straight game. And if you want to include the playoffs, it's actually 1,071, which I kind of think you should, but yeah, why Either wouldn't way, you? I, I digress. I know, like that's even much more impressive. Breaking Keith Yandel's record, which poor Keith Yandel held it for just 272 <laughs> days. Um, it's a, a record, like I said, 13 years in the making, four franchises, parts of 14 seasons, and just for the cherry on top, guys, he scores his 400th goal. So Phil Kessel is the NHL's newest Iron Man. Jesse, um, you know, you've been covering him for so long in Vegas. <laughs> Your thoughts on what you saw last night? Yeah, it was cool. Um, I think it's cool that it's Phil Castle that's the NHL Iron Man. Like he's just such a character, and he's a character. Iron. That, you have to you have to like, put quotations around the word Iron right. Man. <laughs> it is it is hilarious. I mean, the guy is he's hilarious. I uh, I remember so the the practice before he tied it uh, two two mornings ago. They they all pushed him in front of the uh, into the center circle, uh, the stretch circle at the end of practice. And he's, he's such a like shy guy that like, he doesn't want the spotlight. He he's like so bashful. He's, he's in aw shucks mode right now. And they push him into the center and they're all tapping their sticks as long as they possibly can to make him uncomfortable for as long as they can. And anyways, I'm joking with the guys after and Bruce Cassidy, I go, Bruce, we know Phil doesn't like the attention and Cassidy quickly goes, and he doesn't like to stretch, um, which is <laughs> hilarious to me because we all know anyone who's played a sport in their life, even in PE growing up, the most like simplistic form of injury prevention is stretching. This guy who doesn't stretch, he drinks Coca-Cola every morning. He doesn't drink water. This is the guy who played a thousand almost games in a row, over a thousand if you count the playoffs. It's just insane to me. Um, it obviously requires a little bit of luck, but it also requires him to be incredibly hockey smart. He sees things on the ice very well. He doesn't put himself in bad positions. Uh, it's it was really cool to see. Uh, obviously, the 400th goal was cool. Phil's Phil's a, a character. It's it's incredible that that guy is the NHL Iron Man. Yeah, I I um. You know, I was so bummed when they took away his goal when he tied the record. Uh, and then for him to score his 400th goal when he actually gets the record, it made it to me a, such a much more dramatic uh, moment. The way he scored it too, blowing by a defender. Um, the first goal of the game, I mean, flair for the dramatic uh, from a guy that doesn't like the spotlight, as Jesse alluded to. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I wish I knew Phil better in 2006 to understand what I was getting myself into. So I covered the 2006 Stanley Cup final, Edmonton and Carolina. And back then, they used to bring all the top prospects um, to the Stanley Cup final before the draft. And Phil Kessel was one of them. Eric Johnson was one of them. And obviously, being the Star Tribune writer at that time for Minnesota, I ha I sat down at the, um, I forget what the hotel is called now, but it was the Sutton Place back then in Edmonton. And I sat down with them. 
And I immediately hit it off with Eric Johnson because he's a quote machine. Phil was so shy and such a bad quote that me, even as a veteran sports writer from, from at that point for 15 years, I was sweating through this interview. <laughs> it was such, it was grasping at straws. I was sent there to essentially do this double feature on Eric Johnson and Phil Kessel. And I called my editor after the fact. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to weave Kessel into this story. He gave me literally nothing. And it was just one word answers. And now when I see him on the bench interviews or the, you know, talking to reporters, like, you know, the sideline reporter in the hallway, it's hilarious. It's almost like a stand-up routine, the way that he talks. And for him to do it as consistently as he's done it for as long as he's done it, with all the people that always love to make fun of him, it's like become like this thing in hockey to make fun of Phil and the way that he doesn't look like a normal hockey player and all that type of stuff. And yet all he does is score goals. And um, as we've talked about on the la- last couple of shows, I mean, for him to sit there in Arizona and sort of get lost in the shuffle and now go to Vegas with this motivation, he looks slim with, and with this motivation to say, you know, you made me Phil Kessel wait until freaking august something to sign a one-year deal i just think i just think it's uh you know it's an outstanding achievement and uh you know it, it was really cool to watch uh you know uh him get it done yesterday and then score the big goal you talk about him not being a quote machine i love the quote in jesse's piece where he says i like to play the games i'd rather play than sit out yeah <laughs> that's a full kessel that, quote right yeah. <laughs> he he literally like that's the thing is like he I, he understands the historical significance of this moment. Like, I don't want to make it sound like he doesn't give a shit about hockey history. He does. Mm-hmm. But for Phil Kessel, the reason he's so pumped that he broke this record is because he got to play so much hockey. That's mm-hmm. literally all he cares about. Like, mm-hmm. what, what does this mean to you? It means I played a lot of games. I like hockey. That's good. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. it's great. And, and like Russo said, it is low hanging fruit when, when people kind of say they look at him and I get it. And for me, it's not even a matter of his longevity when you look at him. For me, it's just his speed. I mean, he's always been one of the most explosive players in the NHL. And you look at him and you say, how? But back to the aw shucks kind of fill that we see and, and the guy who, you know, just wants to play hockey. I mean, that's fine. And sometimes I think we look for these players to be something else, especially when they play in big markets. When he was here in Toronto, everyone just assumed he has to be one of the leaders that's going to be rah, rah, sis, boom, bah in the dressing room and talk to the media and do everything else. And that's just not Phil. Like, it's just not. And I don't know him personally. I'm just saying you could tell that that's that's just not the type of player he is. Some players are like that. Other players just want to show up, like you said, drink his Powerade, which is apparently what he drank for so many years. And score goals and play in 990 consecutive games because they love hockey. And that's okay. I mean, do we sometimes look for these players to be something they're not because we just feel that they should be? Yes. And I think that what Phil is, not only is it okay, it's actually an asset. Like Jonathan Marcheseau told me, we were missing Phil Kessel in the locker room. Um, he didn't flat out say it, but he said he, he basically said it was Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, this team was under a lot of pressure with to win and Flurry lightened the the room quite a bit. He's a he's a jokester as Mike has already figured out uh, in Minnesota <laughs> quickly. It doesn't take you long. Um th- this team was feeling a lot of pressure last year. The 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 lightness in the locker room was gone. Phil brought levity to the room. Like like you guys have said, it's almost a stand-up yeah. comedy routine. Um in Marcheseau's words, it's just pure entertainment. Um this is how he described hanging out with Phil Kessel. Sometimes just being 
the guy who just wants to play hockey and I'm not here to, to be a leader. I'm not here to make speeches or, or get in front of the yeah. media and make these statements. Um, that can be good for the room. Not only is it not a detriment to the room, but I think he's, he's an asset to the room. Yeah, and I think to to Rob's point, I mean, I'm working on this uh, these fe- these NHL 99 stories on Mike Bossy and Billy Smith, and you know, um, I was a huge Islander fan growing up, and the one thing I've you know talking to guys like Trottier and Danny Potvin and Butch Goring and and Kenny Morrow for these stories, Dwayne Sutter, the one thing I've learned a lot during these the interview process is how Al Al Arbor really recognized and was a student of the personalities of all his players. And coached players differently, and I think all of a, all of a, we always put these players in these these pedestals where they all have to act the same and and be your stereotypical leader and you know always in perfect shape and things like that. But everybody is different, and I think Phil because he's so unique. A lot of times, especially when you're in the media, you you portray guys um, a certain way, and that probably you know um you know sometimes to a detriment is how people felt about Phil but it probably also helped him be in the li- in in sort of the background in the limelight if that makes any sense um i think that you know he has the guy just absolutely loves the sport you t- to me what always matters more so than whether the media loves you because you're a good quote or not is if your teammates love you and you ask any player that's played with Phil Kessel about Phil Kessel and what's the first thing that happens before they even utter a word they start smiling yep you know they 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 because he's that type of guy in the room and he's probably I mean, he probably does stuff that none of us will ever get privy to or see or things like that. But teammates love him. And that's all that matters. And plus, he performs and he wins cups every now and then and things like that. When I wrote that locker room story where they all sit, uh, William Carlson sits next to him. And I'm like, Will, what do you like most about your locker? And he just big old (laughs) grin. And he goes, dude, I sit next to Phil Kessel. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, you know, I've heard the same stories about him that he's just such a, you know, a jokester is maybe not the right word. Like he's he's an elite player who just happens to make you laugh too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that's been his whole career. So um, yeah, and, and you talk about dramatic fashion. Tied the record against the Leafs. Broke the record in San Jose where he won his first cup. And if he hits a thousand games, it'll be in Arizona. <laughs> Who's the wow. schedule maker doing this? Yeah. I mean, perfect. The schedule came out before they had Phil Kessel, which is makes it even crazier. Yeah. And it's uh, also the third straight year we've seen a games yep. played record get broken. Uh, Marlowe set the record uh, all-time games played in 2020, 2021. Then Chara set the record for defensemen the next year. Then Yandel set the Ironman record. And now we've got Kessel. So uh, congratulations to Phil Kessel. Whether you look like it or not, you are the NHL's Ironman. Um, somebody else you, you, you talked to. By him. the way, the 6-2 and two division leading. Vegas Golden Knights, which I think Kelly McCrimmon, if this keeps up, he's going to be doing a victory lap for all the naysayers. <laughs> he's going to be texting Daniel Negreanu and just saying, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> we talked about Marc-Andre Fleury, guys. 944 career games now in the books. Moves past Curtis Joseph um, for sole possession of sixth place. And, I mean, you look at the all-time list. You know, Brodeur, Luongo, and Wah are all over 1,000. But Sawchuk at 971 and Belfort at 963 are certainly within, uh, you know, his sights. He's another guy, like you said, like he's a jokester. He's fun, but Marc-Andre Fleury is always just there and his numbers just keep piling up. And I I, I think we're going to really miss an NHL when it eventually happens Ah. without a Marc-Andre Fleury. 
Yeah. Mark Andre Fleury after the victory yesterday. And by the way, to all those accolades, you said he's 30 wins from passing Patrick Waugh for second all time, which hopefully uh, for the wild sake, he does this year. Um, you know, Mark Andre Fleury, to your point, um, last night he pointed out, he goes, you know, I don't, I don't have too many more games in Montreal left. And it actually, like, from somebody that I, I know I cover him, but I have been long a fan of him, it actually kind of hit me in the heart. Um, you know, he is. Because, you know, you you heard, he, and it's funny, that uh, all of a sudden his face just popped up on my Twitter line here because the Wild just put out his post-game interviews, so you could check that out uh, last night. But he's such a jovial guy. And the one thing I'll say, and I'm writing about a big feature on him today on the train that I'm taking to Ottawa, is um, the demise of Marc-Andre Fleury, and I'm definitely guilty of this, uh, was exaggerated. Um, he His last three games has been brilliant. And, um, you know, and what I what I am impressed about this guy is at 37 turning 38 years old, I think a lot of us thought that, oh, my God, did the Wild make a dramatic mistake here by bringing him back? Is he done? Is he washed up? All this stuff after he gave up 11 goals in his first four periods this season and about 10 of them were bad. Um, And what he did is he put all the blame on himself. He didn't blame anybody else. He was embarrassed. He called them stupid goals. And what did he do? He just went to work. And last night in Montreal, he was brilliant and, you know, gave up one iffy goal. But when they needed him in the second period, he was just outstanding. Third period penalty shot, um, all that type of stuff. And I will say this, like, um, you know, he said last or I'll say, uh, how about this one? Jake Middleton, after the game, he goes, the reason why he knows Marc-Andre Fleury is back is that he's going side to side, making saves and hooting and hollering during it. I mean, he is, you know, this is this is one of the most unique characters in the game. He gets, you know, puck hits the post. He starts massaging the post after they go back the other way. Penalty shot there. He looks at the camera and gives a wink after he stopped Mike Hoffman. This is a guy that I think is feeling that he's back. And uh, the Wilder suddenly winning a couple games because of it. We'll see if it keeps it up. He's going to go to Ottawa now. And Ottawa is scoring five, six goals a game. So that's going to be a big test for him. This is your uh old Ottawa Senators here the last couple of years. Um, so they, they have some work still to do to climb back in the standings. Um, but Fleury is a special, special character that when he does retire, will be very missed in this league. Not only does he massage the post, he thanks it um, in yeah. English and in French, uh, because really? he told me he, he's <laughs> not sure if the, if the nets are, are Canadian or, or American. So he thanks them all in English and in French, just to be sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mark Andre. Oh, by the way, I when when everyone was uh was uh marking down the demise of Mark Andre Fleury, let it be known I was screaming from the mountaintops <laughs> not to do it, not to do it. Yeah, um, I've seen it happen here in Vegas. Uh, they traded for Robin Leonard after he had a bad month, and then he won the Vezina the next year. Um, this guy, what I think it is, is his style of goaltending is so yeah. aggressive and so. Mm-hmm it can be out of control when it's not on. So like when Flurry has a bad game, it looks worse than when most goalies have a bad game because positional yep. goalies, when they have a bad game, the goal just looks like, oh, well, he was in position. He just missed it. Whereas Flurry, when he gives up a, a, a bad goal, it's it looks awful because he's flailing <laughs> and he's out of position. You got to just let the guy get it back on track. Like it, He's been doing this for so long. To me, the most impressive thing about Marc-Andre Flurry is just... There are only 30 starting goalie jobs in the NHL. Like it's so much harder to maintain what he's doing at that position than it is at any other position because when you're a forward and you have a bad year, a bad two years, okay, you just you go down to the second line or now you go down to the third line. 
there's only one goalie spot. So the fact that he can maintain that and be the guy for as long as he's done it is incredible to me. Um, especially, I mean, at that style, his style makes it even more difficult. Like you've got to be on every single night. You're not just playing the angles, letting the puck hit you. Um, it's, it's incredible what he's done. Um, and yeah, I, I, I would not write him off yet. He's, he's still got I, some hockey left. And I, I do. I hope wild fans start to give him a break. I mean, they are so hard at him. And look, there's, in, you know, I've covered the wild now for 18 years. There's never been a goal given up by a wild goalie. That was actually a good goal to give up according right. to wild fans. Um, um, and they are been all over him. And even last night he gives up one goal. And after the game, um, I look at my Twitter account and as good as he was, people are still railing on the goal. Like, let's all chill out appreciate that this future hall of famer is playing for your organization the team that you're fans of and uh, and respect that fact and look the, the wild have no other choice right um if you're a wild fan you better root on for mark andre Fleury because there's no plan b it's not gonna be philip gustafson yes for wallstat they're gonna overbake him in iowa um so mark andre Fleury is the guy and uh wild fans better get used to it and, and appreciate the fact that this jovial character that will be in the hall one day is uh, getting to, you know, that you're getting to watch him at at the tail end of a really remarkable career. And no matter what happens, this guy's got an ear to ear grin. Jesse, you talked about yeah. the fact that Vegas, oh, you know, they, they they get Leonard and they ship him out of town and he wins the Vezina. Let's not forget that's after the same thing basically happened in Pittsburgh. Every mm-hmm. time somebody's like, no, we're, we're, we're done with you. We've got someone better. He just smiles and says, okay, give me my new jersey and just keeps being Mark Andre. Like, He's one of the most liked guys in, I've ever seen in hockey. And like we said, it's going to be a sad day when he no longer plays in the NHL. All right, guys, two happy-go-lucky stories. Let's get a little uh, depressing and negative because the Vancouver Canucks are an absolute dumpster fire right now. Um, <clears throat> still don't have a win. We talked about last week. First team to ever start a season with four straight multi-goal leads that were blown. Then they come home for their home opener, lose 5-1 to Buffalo, and then the topper against Carolina, another loss. They were outshot 39-16. They already cleaned house last year. Everyone keeps talking about cleaning house. I mean, what what do you do with this Vancouver Canucks team? I mean, again, the low-hanging fruit is Bruce Boudreaux, and I'll talk about him in a second, but... I mean, is this just one of those ride it out situations or do do they need something now before things get to a point of no return? Russo, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, when we have Eric Stahl on in a few moments, we should ask him about Bruce because he obviously had Bruce in Minnesota. And sometimes when the going gets tough, Bruce gets tight. And uh, Bruce is very tight right now. I had dinner with him, you know, uh, before the wild game. Uh, last week and uh, he was tight then and they had you know at that point uh, you know we're winless in what four at that point now it's obviously gotten a lot worse um, I don't know what you do in this situation like to me this was self-inflicted in a lot of ways by by management I mean they didn't address the defense and their defense is atrocious it's embarrassing um, and but they were sort of like in when like at first I thought they were sort of in this w- rebuilding mode but then they give JT Miller the long deal. So now you're like, all right, you know, they got the goalie. They got three of the best centers in the league in Pedersen, JT Miller, and, and Bo Horvat. And they signed Miller to this long-term ascension. So you're thinking, all right, they must be w- trying to actually win in this weak division. And then they don't do anything with their blue line. And then they're shocked that they're, that, you know, Demko's struggling, that they're, they're bleeding goals and all this stuff. So I don't know what they're going to do. 
But then Jim Rutherford, obviously, the other day comes out and says, maybe we got to go into this rebuilding mode, which makes me think that then you don't want to fire the coach because you almost want to say, let him go down with the ship. And when it's all over with, then you hire a new coach. So I don't know what they're going to do. But right now, sometimes fan reaction rules the roost. And when you have fans throwing their jerseys that they've spent 300, 400 Canadian on onto the ice, that's that's a bad look. And so... I don't know. For Bruce's, I know Bruce doesn't want to get fired, but I'm worried about his health right now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if he's got to live through this the rest of the year, it could be do do damage. So, um, you know, and Bruce, let's be honest, if he's fired, he'll be on NHL Network by next week. So um, it's, it's a bad, ugly situation there. Um, there's guys on that team that I think when the going gets tough, they get bad. I'm saying off the ice, um, you know, negative, things like that. And right now there's a lot of negativity on that room. Jesse, before we get to you, the, the, the interview I think you're alluding to is the after hours interview. And yep. one thing that he kind of that just jumped out was he said the team had a bad training camp, poor habits, and didn't have enough structure for the players. Tell me you're blaming Bruce Boudreaux without telling me you're blaming Bruce Boudreaux. He didn't yeah. say Bruce Boudreaux, but th- those are all part of his job description. He also said he kind of thought Bruce Boudreaux's contract was supposed to end last year, didn't realize there was this option for for this year i mean he was not a rutherford alvin hiring this i watched that whole interview and i'm thinking okay they're, they're putting this solely on bruce boudreau but the question is the canucks are paying two coaches right now remember travis green and bruce boudreau do they really want to be paying three coaches at once i don't know um jesse your thoughts on this uh, what's going on in vancouver yeah i mean they're trying to put it on just like Last season, at the end of the year, when they play, when their when their record was good, it wasn't because Bruce Boudreaux. And I was I I didn't think it was. I was like, they still suck to me. Thatcher Demko's <laughs> just goalying everyone. Yeah. Like I like they still sucked. I didn't think they were good last year. I thought they're just out goalying everyone. Thatcher Demko is better than the other goalie, and you're going to win a bunch of games when that happens. Now, it's not Boudreaux's fault. Just like it wasn't his to his benefit then. Thatcher Demko isn't outgoaling everyone. I don't think Demko's been bad. I haven't, I'll be honest, I don't get to watch many Vancouver games because they're almost always on at the same time as the Golden Knights. Um, but Demko's stats are bad. I mean, he's second worst goal saved above expected in, in the NHL. His save percentage is like 872, which is horrific. Um, but I think it's, I, I, I don't want to put that all on Thatcher Demko and say he doesn't, he's not good anymore. I think that's more of a case of he's just not bailing out one of the worst blue lines in the NHL. I think Michael hit it on the head. Um, this is management's fault for not improving a defense that was not good. Um, and then you add on to it the fact that some guys aren't scoring. Like Besser doesn't have a goal yet. Quinn Hughes, I know he, he was hurt, but he, he doesn't have a goal yet. Those guys aren't scoring. I mean, this team's going to have to outscore teams if Demko's not standing on his head back there being Dominic Hasek in the crease, basically. Um, I think that this team is bad. I, I, I didn't pick them as a playoff team. I don't think they're a playoff team. Obviously, after six losses, it's easy to say that. They are not a good team, and they don't, they don't play good defense. They rely on their goalie to bail them out night after night after night, and that, it's just hard to do in the NHL. And they do have to, guys, like, worry about Quinn Hughes right now because, um, you know, he doesn't look like uh, this guy looked like he was going to be a superstar defenseman, and he is not defending well at all right now. And obviously, as Jesse mentioned, he's not bringing the offense. Um, but I've, I've watched a lot of Vancouver games actually this year, and Quinn looks like there's some major issues going on there. Um, and, you know, you, you, at some point, you've got to 
address that, that you're going to, you know, you don't want to, I don't think that Quinn Hughes is somebody that's going to get ruined by this experience, but, but man, this is, uh, for somebody that's, a, that's committed long-term there, they've got to figure out a way to coach him up. And, um, and it's going to be interesting. The other thing here is how does Patterson handle all this? You know, his contract's up in a couple of years. Is he going to want to be part of this, um, this situation? Uh, it's another thing they're going to have to worry about here because Patterson has been the one bright spot for that team so far. Well, Jesse said they rely far too much on their goaltender to bail them out, which is a perfect transition to our next topic of Carey Price. Uh, <laughs> Carey Price met with the media uh, for the first time since being put on LTIR. Um, when the news came out that he was going to meet with the media, of course, everyone online, is he retiring? Is he retiring? And he's got $30 million left on his contract. He ain't retiring, guys. And this was set up a while ago. But I find it interesting. I'm sure you guys watched it too. How How different people in different media outlets kind of took that press conference. I heard a guy saying, yeah, I'm not signing my retirement papers at the moment. That's not here what I'm going to announce, but don't expect to see me playing hockey again. That's how I took it. Yeah. Um, I'll read some of his quotes in, after I hear your opinions, but I don't know how you guys said. Basically, it was, yeah, I'm not re- retiring, guys, but you've pretty much seen the last of Carey Price. Do you agree or disagree, Jesse? Yeah, it, I mean, that that definitely was the vibe that I got from it. Um, it sucks. This guy is my favorite goalie to watch in the league. Just his, from a technical standpoint, he's perfect. Um, he's the most technically sound goalie I've ever watched. It's crazy that that guy isn't going to finish a long career. But um, yeah, I, I, I got the same, the same vibes that, uh, like you said, there's 30 million reasons not to retire right now. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like he we're going to see him on the ice uh, going forward. And, and uh, you know, you, you sign your retirement papers and suddenly you're on your own in terms of insurance and all that type of thing. So, I've you know, I've dealt with that. I've, I've had scoops of players retiring, but I, it's like you always have to wait till a certain date to actually write it or they, you know, lose their insurance like that. Um, and um, but to your point, um, I I also saw because I'm here in Montreal. I saw and I didn't go to the presser, but obviously I watched it and um, and have read on it and all that stuff. I saw a guy that's sort of content, right? Um, it wasn't like Agreed. a tear jerking press conference. Yeah. Um, you know, he seems to be in a really good place. Arpon wrote an awesome NHL ninety nine story. Coincidentally, the day it was running, the day after this um, this uh, this uh, press conference. Um, and I just, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's somebody that, um, it's, it's a shame that we're not going to see him on the ice, you know, very similar to Fleury, um, that again here in Montreal. Um, but I saw somebody that's, that's really in a mentally sound place right now. And, and, um, you know, I, I really appreciate all his words and, um, all the stuff that he said to Arpon exclusively as well in that story. Um, yeah, a couple things during that presser, he mentioned playing with his kids a lot. And his kids and his mm-hmm. kids and his kids. And then in Arpon's piece, he mentioned when when it got really to a bad place that he wasn't a good father. Those two are, are connected in ways that are, are so obvious. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Russell. He, he's, he's putting his family ahead of hockey right now. And he's saying he wants to be at a point where he's pain-free, but he's not pain-free. So I'm I'm not going to to kill myself getting uh, you know, the surgery and everything else. The other thing too. Um, he was asked about, has he come to grips with the fact that maybe he has played his last game in the NHL? And he said, no, I haven't really digested it yet. But quote, there's that outside hope of a miracle happening that it could come, maybe could come back and play. 
I've always been a bit of an optimist. I'm not giving up. Definitely not giving up on winning a Stanley Cup in some aspect. End quote. Guys, he called it a miracle for him to come back. Miracle. We know what that word means. And, and I like that he kind of alluded to, I want to win a Stanley Cup in some aspect. That doesn't necessarily mean with pads in, in the blue ice. We could absolutely see him in some sort of role with the Montreal Canadiens or another team in, in the future. But um, I, I, like I said, I was, I was interested to see how people were going to take this press conference. There were a lot of media outlets who were like, Carey Price not retiring as if to say like, ooh, he's on his way back. And I, I absolutely didn't take it that way. But I, would, I wish, I, I hope I'm wrong. I don't know about you guys. I'd love to see him get at least another shot at, at coming back, but I hope I'm wrong. I'd love it too. Um, and and if if he uh, the, speaking of the other capacity, winning a cup in another capacity, um, I'd hire Carey Price as my goalie coach tomorrow. Um, I like like I just said, I think he's the most technically proficient goalie I've ever watched. I would literally hire that guy tomorrow to be the goalie coach. I don't know if he wants that position. He probably is looking at like upper management or something. But uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of if he's not going to play hockey, I think there's still a lot of career in hockey for Carey Price if he wants it. Yeah, no doubt if he wants it. And, you know, maybe they could sign him with a $30 million uh, consulting deal and then he can retire. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. <laughs> he'll still get his money he'll and he'll get him off the cap and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, no, um, um, I, I don't know. That was to me what was the biggest thing because when I watched that press conference, I'm like, man, this is going to be one emotional press conference. And he got up there and it was super strong. And, and um, you know, I thought it was really. Uh, poised and eloquent and um, you know just uh, you know kudos to him and I wish him all the best of health in the the future here here and someone else who we're going to talk about their future Eric Stahl going to join us after the break the newest member of the Florida Panthers so make sure to stick around for that looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We're back on the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. Rob Pizzo, Jesse Granger, and Michael Russo with you. And guys, I don't know if you know this, no active player in the NHL has played more games than our next guest. And yes, he's officially active again after signing that one-year deal with the Florida Panthers. Eric Stahl joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I got to warn you. While we were waiting for you to, to connect, we were kind of spitballing different ideas. Hey, what do we want to talk to Eric about? And we're going to go everywhere in this interview. <laughs> Some of the topics <laughs> we're going to hit. It's not your typical uh, pucks in deep type interview. So uh, I'll ask the most basic question just to kind of get us going. And then I'll let Russo ask you about some strange stuff. Um, sure. I, know you had to, I know you had to wait a bit because of cap you know, constraints and everything else. But uh, how good did it feel to finally uh, sign on the dotted line and become a Florida Panther? 
Yeah, you know what? It felt really good. Uh, I've signed a, a few contracts uh, in my day and over my career, but uh, you know, this one, this one felt uh, felt really good because of the amount of um, time and, and commitment, effort, and all the things uh, behind the scenes that I kind of put into this uh, this opportunity, and and then to finally you know see that kind of come about and and um, sign them that line with this group and this uh, team uh, it was definitely exciting. Felt really good and. Um, just, just excited to be part of this uh, group and, and back in action and, um, just taking it, uh, a uh, little bit by little and, and day by day. And then, uh, just progress as we go. Erica, just like what, what continues to drive you? Because, uh, you know, I was talking to Jordan, your brother at the NHL media tour, and I asked him how tough last year was on you. Uh, you, you know, you, you go to the Stanley cup finals in Montreal, you're on a, you're on a line that performed really well. And next thing you know, you know, you're you're not getting a job last season, and yet here you are still uh, wanting to play hockey at your age. What 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 keeps you going, and how tough was last year? Well, I mean, I think what keeps me going is is that that chance to compete for a Stanley Cup. I think you know my my goal uh, every year I've played is to try and win a Stanley Cup. Obviously, it's not something you can do every year. I've been fortunate to do it once but it was a really long time ago and uh you know i got really really close with montreal and, and it it uh it was tough it was really tough to get that close and and not uh you know come through in the end and and you know that's that's why i'm playing that's why i'm you know took this chance and this opportunity to come with the panthers because i believe that they've got a team that uh is as competitive as anybody in the top echelon of the league that has that chance so um, that's why I'm here. That's why I signed. That's why I'm still playing. And, um, and I feel like I can, uh, contribute. I think I can play a role and, and, an opportunity to, to fit with, uh, the right situation, the right players, the right team and, and, uh, and help. And, um, you know, I believe that in myself and, um, over the last year and a half was difficult or the last year, you know, being away from it and, and kind of watching it from the outside and speaking with so many people I have so much respect for and so many people telling me to hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, stay with it. And, and uh, a lot of opinions asked. And um, so I did that and obviously took this opportunity and this chance to come to camp with Florida and um, now, uh, you know, signing with them here finally and, and uh, getting the chance, it's, uh, it's going to be great. You, you mentioned being away from it. Um, how, did, how did you spend that time? I know a lot of guys talk about in the offseason when you're not on the ice every day, you can work on certain things. You can work on fitness, stuff like that. Are there, are there benefits you're seeing to, to have been away from it, whether it's mental, uh, physical, anything? Yeah, I, I, I do think I'm in uh, a real good physical shape. I, I, I did train a lot uh, all last fall before Christmas. Um, I was in the gym and I was also on the ice on my own, uh, with a couple of guys in Minnesota that, you know, kept me in good shape. And then I, you know, came right after Christmas break into, you know, the Olympics and went right, right. Well, I wouldn't say off the couch, but off the couch into four games in Iowa, played really well, felt good on the ice, uh, and then went to the Olympic games. And so, uh, you know, the body felt really good. Um, and then. Obviously, after after that, then uh, took a little time before summer, and then you know having this uh, this chance ahead with Florida, I really cranked it into uh, <clears throat> overdrive uh, through the course of the summer, just training and and getting the body right, and and I I felt really good, actually really good at camp, um, felt strong, and 
and um, you know that gives me confidence. Uh, you know when I'm when I'm when I'm out there and going to get uh, that opportunity that uh, you know I'll feel good and be able to contribute the way you know I see in my head and uh, hopefully they see as well. So, um, but you no, know, I feel refreshed. I feel excited. I think those juices are there to to want to get back out there and and just compete. Um, you know that's the part I love and and missed for sure and still had that fire and that desire to want to do that. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, to the rest of the year. Along those lines, Eric, how, how different is it as I know it's your birthday in a few days, you're going to be 38 years old. And I, I hear veterans say it all the time. You can't fall out of game shape because getting back in when, you, when you're a little older is, is tough. How different is training and being in the best shape of your life, as Paul Maurice said it, when you're 38 versus, you know, when you're, you're just drafted or you're, you're early years in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it takes you know obviously at this point in my career and this time in my life, it's it probably takes a, a little bit more of a narrow focus and a little bit more uh, you know specific regimen, I would say, as far as what I've been following, and it takes more effort with just recovery and making sure your body is is right for the next time you train hard because. Uh, you know, when you're 22, 23 years old, you just recover really quickly. It's just really easy to to bounce back, and and even when you have a really hard training session, you are, you know, you you can have a short night's sleep and you can be ready to go the next day. But for as you get older, I find it's just it takes more conscious effort to be smart with decision making, with diet, with uh, sleep, with all those things. And you know, you, you learn that with experience. And 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 I've obviously fortunate to have you know, played with and, uh, been around a lot of good people and a lot of smart people in this field. And, and, um, you know, I've tried to take advantage of that as best I can. And, um, coming down to Florida, they've got a great group here, a great staff of, of people that are, um, on the ball when it comes to fitness and, and planning and getting, getting the guys uh, prepared properly every day. And, um, just taking full advantage and, and it's been good. And, and, um, you know, I do feel very good. It's, obviously, uh, you know, counts when you get onto the ice for the games. And that's what I'm excited about. Uh, Jordan told me that, that you were at Pebble Beach uh, when you and Mark agreed to uh, <laughs> go to Florida together, I think on the 18th hole, he said, um, or the 18th fairway. Um, tell us that whole story. And then what is it like one being with Mark right now after playing with Jordan and, and then being back with Paul Maurice? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a crazy, uh, crazy couple of days for sure. It was it was Jordan's thousandth game trip from from his the fellows from his team in Carolina, and so we definitely lucked out on that. Uh, joining with him and and being out there, it's really cool. I've never been out there before, and it was it was such a blast. It was just the four of us um, spent a ton of time just having laughs and and, and playing golf, and then uh, we, were, we were obviously knowing it just the way it lined up uh, schedule wise. It it uh, ended up being. Right when free agency opened, and uh, we had uh, just finished, um, you know, a hole of uh, eighteen. I'm not sure which course we were playing that day, but uh, it just finished, and so we had been talking with our agents kind of uh, before, uh, you know, after the round, and and Mark, uh, they had contacted Mark about uh, signing with Florida, and and uh, he right away was like, "Yeah, I'm in, like, no brainer for sure," and. And then they had asked if I was interested in doing a PTO. And to be honest, it wasn't fully on my radar at that time, just because it was the first day of free agency. And, and with what happened for me for the last season, I just didn't think, um, you know, anything could really jump at me right away. And, and uh, when they said that, it, it, it was kind of one of those 
no brainer moments as well. I was like, you know what? I, I've been itching and wanting this chance to get back into the league and get back playing. And I know this is probably the route I'm going to have to take. And what a great opportunity with a phenomenal team in Florida. And obviously, and <clears throat> obviously I know Paul well, and, and I've had him as a coach for a number of years. And uh, I knew he would be straight up with me and, and uh, tell me what he thought regardless. So, um, so I, I jumped at that as well. So we, we kind of joined in together at, at that time. Uh, uh, I think we officially signed the, the two documents. Uh, it was on the 18th, uh, the restaurant on the 18th hole at, at Pebble beach. So really cool moment and special memory. And hopefully, uh, you know, that memory will get sweeter as the, this year plays out and, and, uh, it, uh, it becomes a successful one. Eric, you mentioned your, your number one goal in all this is to win another Stanley cup. Uh, I wanted to ask you, so I, I, social media has been arguing over this all week. Uh, the question was posed, what would you rather win, two Olympic gold medals or one Stanley Cup? Um, you're one of the few guys who's won both. Um, I think I know the answer here, but can you just <laughs> can you just compare what, what it's like maybe winning each of those and, and, and how the two compare to each other? Yeah, I mean, I think winning the Stanley Cup has got to be, it, be won. I mean... Yeah, it may be different for European guys that grow up in, in countries and, and it's the focus is international a little bit more. But, you know, a Canadian kid, you grow up and, and you, you, you watch the Stanley Cup race, man. That's just all you dream about. And, and uh, one, you just dream about playing a game. Two, when you're there and establish yourself, all you want to do is win a Stanley Cup. And I, and I think it's just the fact that um, you go through you know, we just went through a month of training camp. It's a grind. It's tough. You, you develop these relationships with guys, with the staff, and then you go through 82 games. And it's, again, it's just developing that relationship and that camaraderie with the group. And then it's four rounds of playoffs of seven game series. So when you get to the end of all that and you, you know, reach the top of the mountain and find that success, there is, there's no better feeling. And I would argue there's no better feeling in any sport. And, and uh, the Olympics, no question. Uh, is a phenomenal feat and something I'm so proud of, especially the fact that when we won, it was in Canada, which there was so much added pressure with being in Vancouver. Um, but I would still say it's a, it's a one AB type thing. Um, but Stanley Cup, uh, is, is the ultimate goal and prize that you have at seven years old, you're thinking about trying to win. So, uh, I'm going to be 38 here soon and I'm still dreaming and itching for one another one so bad because I know how good it feels and, uh, how special it is and in such a moment that you walk with forever. So um, that's, that's why I'm here. That's the the goal I'm after. And um, it's been fun so far with these guys. It's a great group and just looking forward to the rest of the year. Along those lines, uh, how was your experience in Beijing? I mean, you know, Jesse talked about being uh, one of those rare guys that has a Stanley Cup and a gold medal. You're also one of those rare guys that played in the Olympics with NHLers and without NHLers, obviously very, very different. Uh, not the results you necessarily wanted, but how was the experience uh, as a whole? You know what? It was really cool. It was actually a really, really cool experience. I was really happy that I did it. Uh, very different, very different uh, experience um, than with the NHLers and without. Uh, just overall, I, I found uh, the, the guys were great, uh, you know, but it was such a uh, such a different dynamic being in Beijing, COVID, no fans or some fans. Um, so it was, it was different in that respect, but you know, the common goal was, was, uh, the same, obviously trying to win a gold medal for our country. And, um, we had a lot of great players, some good, some good, uh, European pros guys that, uh, played pro hockey for a long time. And, 
but we just uh, how you see the quarterfinal. Uh, there was I, I felt like there was a good about five or six teams that probably could have taken it all, and and uh, we matched up with Sweden there in the quarters, and it was I think it ended up being two nothing empty net, but one nothing game or zero zero game to about seven minutes left. It it was tight. There was a lot of tight checking, um, competitive hockey, but. Um, you know, it was it was fun to be a part of that experience and, and um, you know, build some relationships with different guys that um, have been around the sport and the game a long time. But uh, in that type of environment, it was it was pretty cool. I was glad I did it. By the way, when is your second NHL debut? Is that going to come in Philly tomorrow or, or where? Uh, I'm hopeful. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see uh, for sure tomorrow, but uh, I'm trending that way. So I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But that's uh, awesome. Looking forward to getting a good sleep tonight, and and then uh, see how the day goes tomorrow. One, um, y- y- we were we were talking before you came on about this. I don't know if you've seen on social media media today what the visiting locker room in Arizona is going to be like. You guys go there in five days. It is it is literally a makeshift. Like I don't even know how to describe it with it's like curtains. curtains. It's curtains. Yeah, yeah. it's curtains. <laughs> it's like it's. It's crazy. So one, how much are you looking forward to going to Arizona? But two, uh, you know, what is the worst visiting locker room in the NHL? Oh, well, probably the one with curtains coming up here, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I'm all for experiences, Mike. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to, uh, to seeing it and, and uh, experience it all firsthand, uh, the smaller arena. But Obviously unique, different. Um, nonetheless, uh, it's still NHL hockey and, and uh, you're still after the points. So um, that's what we'll be after when we're there. Uh, I would say the worst. Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, the, there's been a lot of new arenas now. I remember the, the old Islanders dressing room oh, yeah. uh, was pretty brutal. Uh, the visiting locker room there was bad. Obviously, I haven't been to the new rink yet, but I've heard that's a top notch. So. I'm sure that's way better. Uh, the old igloo was brutal in that yeah. dressing room. But, yeah. You know, the, but the dressing rooms were brutal. But honestly, as a player, like I loved those rinks. I yeah. loved playing in the igloo. I loved playing on uh, at Nassau, that old rink there. Uh, had some great games. It just, it's just cool environments. Um, I understand that you can't hold on to those places forever because you need to adapt with times and, and get new buildings. But some of those old buildings were great. Even the, even the brutal locker rooms, they were still fun to play in. All right, what's the best then? We, we you're slamming certain rigs. We got to we got to give the pub. What's the best? <laughs> I mean, the new Pittsburgh uh, uh, visiting locker room is pretty phenomenal. Um, they, they've done they did a nice job there. Um, the old, I mean, the Bell Center visiting rooms is nice for you know it's get go, gone by the wayside a little bit more now, but um, you know years ago that that was one of the nicer ones. Um, I don't know. There's. Uh, there's no real bad ones. We're treated pretty well, to be completely honest. The the guys, uh, even the 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 trainers and all the equipment guys, do an awesome job just uh, making our life easy by showing up and just putting our gear on. So uh, we're lucky. It's uh, it's a treat to to play no matter where we are. Erica, we were reminiscing also before you came on about the 2003 draft and just how amazing it is. Not just the first round, which was stacked, but. You know, you, you, I mean, you talk about Patrice Bergeron and Joe Pavelski and Dustin Bufflin throughout, uh, throughout the draft. 
When you like, I have a lot of memories from that draft in Nashville for multiple reasons. One, the Panthers in 2003 tried to draft Alex Ovechkin three different times in the 2003 draft, by the way, um, when he was draft eligible in 2004. So that was a, that was a fun one. But the other one I remember about that is is how much of a, almost like a campaign job that I was writing for the Panthers at number one overall to draft you. And next thing you know, they drop to three. Nathan Horton comes to Florida. Mark Andre Fleury goes one. You go to Carolina. When you were in that draft, like, did you have any idea where you were going to go there? Uh, you, you know, especially at that point when Florida at one point had the number one overall pick. Yeah, I didn't know. I don't remember if I knew. I, I ended up knowing what was going to happen, but I don't remember if it was the night before. I think it was only like a, an hour or two before the draft. Uh, my agent had had uh kind of got word of what was what was going to happen and and the 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 flip and and that Pittsburgh was going to take flurry um so i knew uh before uh before the draft about an hour or two before um how it was going to play out but obviously you still never know for sure you're you're still nervous and um i knew uh you know i had spoken with all those teams in the first uh you know first round really i had a lot of interviews and and i know uh the ones i had with carolina with florida um uh, and pittsburgh they all went really well and and i was going to be just excited and looking forward to the the chance to uh, live out my dream no matter where it ended up being and fortunately for me it was it was carolina because you know they you know had went to the stanley cup finals then had a lot of injuries and a tough tough year and then ended up um, with me and I, so I ended up in an environment where there were so many great veteran, good players that I learned so much from and obviously, uh, win a Stanley cup a couple of years later. So, um, you know, I think it, it, it worked out, uh, it was meant to be the way it, it did. And, and, uh, I feel very fortunate that way, but it was, a, it was a special draft, uh, so many great players, so many relationships that I've, you know, kind of initially, initially started to have, uh, then and, have continued on over you know the course of my whole hockey career because uh, kind of all came in together and and you know different uh, events whether it be all star or uh, international competitions you get to know these guys uh, better and better and it's been uh, it's been pretty special to uh, you know to kind of come into the league all together um, with those guys. I'm sure you follow Russo on Twitter, like so many of us and so many people out there, Eric. Uh, he threw out that you were coming on the show and said, any questions for the big man? I want to read one or two just uh, from some of the people out there. This one's from uh, Julia MTN Murphy. says, what the heck is in the water in Thunder Bay? Uh, <laughs> it just seems like, and I quickly looked it up for you trivia buffs out there. Alex Del Vecchio, the all-time leading scorer from Thunder Bay, followed by one Eric Stahl. So what the heck is in the water in Thunder Bay? You know what? There's there's a lot of great hockey players from up there. It's it's one of those uh, you know one of those small towns where you know everybody plays. So you you get a town of a hundred thousand people where every single kid uh, starts the game and 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 plays. Um, you're bound to develop some some hockey players, and uh, Thunder Bay has definitely done that. There's been so many guys that in front of me and and uh, in front of my brothers that have played ahead of us and played in the league. So. Um, feel fortunate to, you know, have kind of grown up in that environment and, and, you know, followed, um, suit with some of those other guys. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a great town. It's a great hockey town. And, um, for sure, uh, for sure there's something, I couldn't tell you what it is, but there's something <laughs> in that water because there's a, there's a lot of NHL, there's a lot of pro hockey players that, you know, have made their way, way up through the ranks, uh, 
bunch of goaltenders now too. So they're kind of covering all positions, but um, you know, great hockey town for sure. Ryan and Greg Johnson, right? We're from there, right? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I skated. Covered Ryan. I skated and worked out with Ryan. I, I remember being uh, in high school. We we had a our, my high school was literally right across from from uh, from the gym that we'd work out with. I was still only like fifteen or sixteen years old, and and RJ was already in the NHL. And I would go into like I, I didn't know anything about anything. I was sixteen, but I would go into the <laughs> to the gym to work out during my spare. In high school, and RJ would would be in there working out, and the, the, he, I remember watching him. He was probably, I mean, he's a couple years older than me. He was probably in his twenties, so he had played pro for a while. He he would be in the gym for like three hours and like training hard. Like I was like watching this guy. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm like that's what it's going to take for me to like, for me to to make it to the NHL. This guy's been in here for like three hours, and I'm just like doing the uh, quasi bench press and, and like those standard things. And he was doing every other type of movement there was, but I just remember how hard he was training. And, uh, you know, as a 16 year old kid, 15 year old kid watching him, I was like, okay, this is, this is going to take next level. But, um, if I'm willing to put it the work in, I can, yeah. you know, try and do the same thing. So I, I, I learned from a lot of those guys ahead of me, especially in, in town. And RJ was one of those guys for sure. Yeah, he's Canucks assistant GM these days. He still looks like he could play. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure he's still in great shape. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you one wild question? Um, you you mentioned playing in Iowa last year. You played with Marco Rossi. You played with uh, Kalen Addison. Um, how good do you think these two guys can be? Yeah, I uh, I don't believe Kalen was there when I was there. Um, okay, Marco, he was up. Marco was there. Um, uh, I liked him. He was he was a great player. Uh, I think offensively, his instincts were were. Uh, NHL level. Um, you know, I, I think for any young guy and especially, you know, it was the same for me. There's so many, so many detail parts of the game, so many detail parts of pro hockey that you just have to learn and experience and get better at. And I think, you know, it was such a short time that I was there, but there were, there's certain, you know, wall plays or certain little things that, um, you know, I think he probably only gained experience from playing down there for the year, but his, his offensive instincts, his ability to, um, you know, find holes, make plays. Um, I could tell, uh, right away that, uh, he had those tools and, um, nice kid. He was willing to, uh, willing to work and, and, uh, try to get better. And, uh, I enjoyed it. It was, it was fun. I was out on the power play. We had five forwards out there for a little bit with them and, and, uh, moving the puck around. So, um, it was fun. I'm, I'm not surprised that, uh, he, he's cracked the lineup there this year and, um, I'm, he's only going to gain experience with, uh, you know, more opportunity and chances, but, um, you know, it'll, it'll take time to learn, but he'll, he'll play for, for a number of years for sure. Eric, uh, one more Twitter question before we let you go. This is from MN hockey fan three, three, six, um, besides hoisting the cup, what hockey accomplishment is he most proud of? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, you know what? I've, I, there's there's a num number of obviously Olympic gold is 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 very high up there. That uh, is an, an incredible accomplishment. I think, um, you know, another one that that uh, that I am really proud of is that you know I have three brothers, uh, three younger brothers, and all four of us have played games in NHL. So I think that's cool. Even my youngest, he played two with Carolina and pro hockey for a number of years, and and uh, all four of us suited up. We all lived out our dream. We all played a game in the NHL and, and, um, you know, that's pretty special. There's not a lot of, uh, if anybody that can say that. And, um, and then, 
and then the fact that um, you know Mark last year eclipsing a thousand games, um, Jordan just a little bit before that, and myself, um, you know that hadn't been done before. So, um, you know, I think those accomplishments that you uh, can enjoy together uh, as a family and as brothers is super special and super cool. And and um, you know those are those are relationships that you you have and you you will have for the rest of your life and uh, to have to kind of see, go through those things together is, is special. And, and now uh, for me this year, being here with Mark, you know, he, he's never won a Stanley cup and, and I know how badly he wants one. And, and uh, for me just to, to be here with him and, and uh, try and work as hard as we can to achieve that goal. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And Jared's coaching now, right? He is. Yes. He's uh, coaching in Charlotte. Oh, very cool. Um, speaking of coaches, last question for you. Uh, Vancouver's off to a tough, tough, tough start this year. You had the coach there. How do you think Bruce Bougeau is handling this, uh, Eric? Uh, as you know, he can get tight. He's he's probably not sleeping great, I would say, no. at this point. Um, but, you know, they, they've got good players there. It's a long year. It, you know, it can, I'm sure the heat's high right now, but, um, you know, you got to – I think for for Bruce and for those for those guys there, you got to look perspective. It's seven games in. There's still you know you're almost at se- almost you know seventy so odd games left. So it can turn around, but obviously you want it to turn around as fast as possible. But um, you know Bruce is uh, going to turn every stone over to to try and find a solution. I know that uh, he's a passionate hockey guy and and loves being at the rink and loves being uh, uh, being around the guys and his staff. So. Uh, but he's competitive, so I'm sure he's not very happy right now. But uh, as soon as they get that one, he uh, will be back to uh, to his more jovial self, and um, I'm sure they'll they'll find that soon enough. Eric, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we have one more favor: when you do go to Arizona, take some pictures and uh, send us <laughs> what that what that dressing room looks like and what curtain yeah, you're standing do. next to. Because uh, we 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 were talking about it, we got to get a little bit of an inside scoop. But good luck the rest of the way. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you throughout the season. All right, guys. Be good. Thank you. Eric Saul of the Florida Panthers. After the break, rapid fire. So don't go anywhere. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, guys, your favorite time of the show and mine, rapid fire. I've got four topics I want to throw at you. Barry Trotz, not coaching in the NHL at the moment, says he's not ready to come back, but did add that he would be, quote, intrigued if a Canadian, or excuse me, an original six team were to come calling. He said playing, uh, coaching an original six team is something that, you know, you always wanted to do. And he also alluded to the fact that Canadian cities are a lot tougher to coach in because of all the pressure um, is he throwing out signals here, guys? Yeah, he said, I like original six. He said, uh, I don't think I want a Canadian team. And then he threw in New York there with the with the microscope, too. So I guess, uh, is he coaching in Detroit or Chicago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Are the Knuckleheads in Canada an original six team? Because that's still the one that I just I just have this feeling that, that's, uh, that they're going to come calling. Um, I've told this story before, but when... when um, Bruce Boudreau got the call last May, like, uh, you got to make a decision whether or not to accept your one-year ex- option that we're giving you or not. Um, it was the day after uh, Barry Trotz was fired by the Islanders, and I just think that's coincidental timing, especially for a guy that's just sitting back in D.C. Um, so I don't know if, if Barry Trotz, if he has interest in that job, if Bruce is let go, um, but uh, it's right there for him. Um, he might look at that team and be like, how the heck am I going to get that team to play defense? And, and he's a defensive master. But, um, you know, I, this game will be better for all the sports writers when Barry Trotz is back. Topic number two. We always hear about marquee matchups when you got like Sid versus McDavid. I mean, it was always Crosby versus Ovechkin. Last night we had Alexander Georgiev, 44 saves to help the Avs beat the Rangers, outdueling Igor Shosturkin, his former teammate, of course, the guy who went on to win the Vesna last year. Um do we care anymore about goaltending duels? Are they are they something you put on the marquee? And Jesse, I'm starting with you because you always want to talk about goals. I do. I care about the goalie duels. <laughs> um, I don't know if anybody else does. Man, that was a fun game last night. Like it was so entertaining. Um, I was pumped just to grow the game to have a game like that on ESPN. I feel like it had a good audience. Uh, that was a fa- a really fantastic hockey game. Lots of action both ways. Uh, Normally, goalie duels, people can say they're boring because there isn't enough scoring, but like there were tons of scoring chances in those games. Uh, really fun to see the shootout, and then fun to see Georgiev's reaction after making that winning save against his former team. Like that, that was really cool. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and that's to me all that matters is that Georgiev cared about the goalie duel. Um, his reaction after making that save said it all. I mean, there were like three massive, massive fist pumps. Um, you know, he was he was super excited. It was a pretty cool moment. Um, and, uh, you know, good for him. Bill Guerin made some uh, headlines with some quotes this week. He spoke to some reporter, Michael Russo. I don't know, some hack mm-hmm. in Minnesota. Uh, quote, nobody gives a shit what we did last year. Nobody cares how good anybody was last year. You have to show up and play hard every single night. And it feels like some of our guys just figured they could step on the ice and we'd be as good a team as last year. 
and they'd be as good a player. Uh, Russo, how high did your eyebrows kind of go up when you heard him talking so candidly yeah. during that sit down? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, so he and I met up at the cigar bar here in uh, in uh, Montreal, and um, and we sat on the patio, and it was almost like we were on stage over Crescent Street. And throughout our three-hour sit-down, um, <laughs> I mean, players were walking by and looking up to the point that yesterday at the morning skate, players were coming up to me, like, what were you talking to Garen about? What was he saying? <laughs> like, all that stuff. Like, And I said to a couple of them, like, read my story. You want an athletic subscription? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean... Um, I, I will say this. He was pretty, like, you know, he it, to me, it was a rational conversation. Like, he's not spitting mad. He's not going into the locker room and tearing the paint off the wall. He's not calling individual meetings. But he wants the coaches to coach and the players to play and get to work because he has seen this league before, and we've talked about it on the show before, about how easy it is to fall out of contention, but how hard it is to catch up just because of the funny math in this league. And he wanted them to get at their act together, specifically on this road trip, because after losing to Boston in overtime the other night, I think you have a tendency as players to look at Montreal, Ottawa, Detroit, and Chicago as four lesser lights. But look, Chicago's winning and coming back in all these games. Ottawa's uh, you know, scoring five, six goals a game, and they're winning games now. And Detroit had a great start. These are not easy games. Montreal leads the league in odd man rushes and works their butt off. So he wanted to get their attention, and he tried to do that the other day. And um, but he's not going to go out and try to you know trade a bunch of players. He says he's not worried about the goaltending, but he is concerned about how many wild players um, have gotten off to just terrible starts that had career years last year. Um, and so what his job was was to also get their attention. And Dean changed all the lines, split defense, defense pairs, everything yesterday. And yesterday against the Canadians again, uh, maybe considered a lesser team. The Wild looked a lot more like themselves. And, um, you know, I think Bill Guerin probably was a lot happier. Um, but now they got to get consistent with it. You can't go to Ottawa now and, and lay an egg. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it, it, was a, it was a good sit down. And, and as usual, I mean, uh, I think Bill Guerin's the most candid GM in the league, certainly the most accessible. And he didn't, you know, he didn't hold back any punches there. You got to love it as a reporter when that happens. And finally, real quick, guys. Uh, the Golden Knights and Sharks met last night, as we talked about earlier, in San Jose. And when Mark Stone, a member of the Vegas Golden Knights, scored a goal, Jesse, you were laughing. The the goal horn goes off. Goal horns have been around forever, but it's supposed to be for the home team. I've never heard this. Michael's been covering <laughs> hockey a lot longer than I have. It was hilarious, uh, and not only not only that they accidentally played it for the for the the visiting team, but the fact that like the rivalry's not quite what it was now that Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane aren't trying to kill each other, and and Gerard Gallant and Pete DeBoer aren't aren't taking jabs in the media at each other. But this is still the Golden Knights' biggest rival, the San Jose Sharks. The fans do not like each other. And the fact that it was Mark Stone scoring the goal in the third period to like ice the game to go up 4-2 and the goal horn goes off. I was dying in laughter. I've, I, I can't even imagine what the fans were, were thinking. Uh, Michael, have you ever heard the team accidentally play the goal horn for the road team goal? Nope, only at an all-star game where everybody gets a goal horn, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I did not see this until you guys made me aware of it today. I do feel bad for whoever accidentally hit it because, you know, hey, we all screw up and hopefully that person doesn't lose their job yet. He or she had to feel like about two inches tall. Um, but look, we all mess up. Let's be honest. Somebody from the Sharks probably you know, screwed up to allow that goal to happen, right? So 
Uh, hopefully the Sharks uh, game ops crew are a little, um, you know, uh, you know, a little lenient with the, uh, whoever messed up here. I hope I hope he or she is listening and going, oh, are they really talking about this? Thanks a lot, Jesse <laughs> I'm Granger. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Jesse texted us right before the show, so we got to talk about this. So you can blame Did anything interesting happen? When you, honestly, when you guys said that anything interesting in the game happened last night, I thought of that before Phil Kessel breaking the Iron Man streak because <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> all right, boys. Thanks for another good show. That wraps up. Uh, this one, before we go, I want to let everybody know, remember, subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show. You can do it now on YouTube as well and follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and a review. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. And you start with a 30-day free trial, just 99 cents a month after that. And this offer still stands. You get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown. For Russo, for Jesse, I'm Pizzo. We'll see you next week.